to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Preck. And today our guest is Ian Horowitz. And Ian transitioned from a dedicated firefighter to co-founding Equity Warehouse, where he and his partner manages a $70 million portfolio, which includes a diverse range of real estate assets, such as single-family homes, multifamily buildings, commercial properties, and self-storage units. So we're super excited to have Ian here sharing a little bit about his story and his background. So welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Ian? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. I was trying to stay a little cool. It's been warmer weather, but I'm not complaining. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I know. We just connected. Your husband is a local Philadelphian, so that's excited to hear. But it's hot on this side of the country too. So, But it's that time of year. No, it is what it is. So Ian, can you share a little bit about your background and how you got started with real estate with us, please? Yeah. So my business partner and I, we were both career firefighters for the city of Baltimore. If any of your audience ever watched The Wire... Like we worked in the heart of West Baltimore, the riots that were going on. That's where we worked in some of the worst neighborhoods in the whole city. With that being said, we got hired in 07 and 08. The short story is pension systems started going bankrupt. They were furloughing us. I mean, you guys know you're in California. Every teacher's pension was going under. Detroit, Michigan, they just went under. Here we are. We took a career firefighting job. We're looking at government benefits and security. And they're telling us that we're getting furloughed and pension systems are getting bankrupt and everything's just getting more expensive. And I was like, dude, there's no way. And then, you know, of course, the wife wants to have kids and you're like looking at it and it's like, well, how do we produce some sort of income and stabilize our family? And the only thing I could think to do was how can I make money while I'm laying in bed at work, right? Like there's some nights we would get the advantage of sleeping. And I'm like, well, how can I make money when I'm laying in this bed? And that's how I stumbled on real estate. And then we've grown the portfolio from there, you know, and that was really our motivating factor. There was an applied pressure from an external force that we couldn't control. And we went out and found and made our own way. So when you stumbled across real estate investing, how did you get started in the space, especially as you both were working as firefighters? And that does take a lot of toll on you mentally, physically as well. How did you find the time to do what you did within real estate and then get started? Yeah. So I guess one of the competitive advantages is we would work 24 hours on, 24 off, 24 on, five days off. So we did have some free time, but the early days, I mean, we were working days and nights before they switched our schedule. It was just grit and determination knowing that we had to change something. I mean, the first house I ever bought was $25,000. It needed a full gut renovation. I had no clue what I was doing. Yes, we were in construction. But I can't say that I did everything right. But we went out there and did it. And a lot of it came down to just saying, you know what? If I do this today at 30 years old or just shy of 30 and it all goes wrong, well, then screw it. I still have a 30-year career ahead of me. Whatever. If I go bankrupt, it is what it is. At least I knew I tried and I swung the bat before like I never did it at all. And I was like, well, at least I can go to the grave knowing that I went out there and put myself out there. And that's what it was for us. It was... The first house we ever bought, just to be clear, I mean, like the most recent deals are self-storage deals that we're doing. I mean, we're talking upwards of 10 million bucks. 
The first deal we ever did was $25,000 and we went out there and swung the hammer. We went out there and painted the house. We went out there and found the tenant and it wasn't in the best area, but that was the financial risk that we were willing to take. That was the financial damage that I was willing to take if it all went wrong. But the upside wound up being exponentially beneficial. And we got started with subsidized housing. I mean, we're talking Section 8 housing with vouchers. Like We went out there, we found the one thing that we were good at. We knew how to deal with people and we knew how to build houses. All right, cool. I can deal with the people aspect. We can put houses together. We can make money. And off we went. So. So for that first house, was that together with your partner or was that on your own? No. So that one was actually on my own because I was like, I got to figure this out if it's for us. Right. And so I went out and did that house on my own and I wound up building a 10 house portfolio. But my business partner and I, we grew up together just outside of Philadelphia. And I wound up hiring him to do some electric work. I won't curse on your show, but it was a very frank conversation. And he was like, I don't know why the blank I'm working for you. I was like, I don't know why you're working for me either. Like, let's go figure this out. He got caught up in the 08 debt. He got jammed on his house, had some debt that he was wiping off. So he started wholesaling houses. I was building a rental portfolio. And then in 2014, he brought a four house package portfolio. He's like, hey, I want to wholesale three of these and I want to flip the one. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And at that point, I had 10 houses for myself. And we sure as shit, uh, see, I said I was going to curse, I apologize. <laughs> sure as heck, we went out, we wholesaled the three houses, we made six figures, and then we flipped that house and that was it. We did another one six months later, formalized the business after that in 2014, off we went. We were grinding away doing it. So, From the time when you built your 10 house portfolio, give us a little bit of a time frame for how long did that take for you to build up the 10 house portfolio? And then how were you able to finance that as well? Yeah. So those first 10 houses were just down and dirty. I mean, straight up down and dirty. And what, what I'm talking about is... So it was from 2012 to 2014, just shy of two years, plus or minus, that it took me to do those 10 houses. But you guys got to remember, like... We're recording this in 2023. The market's way at the top. Like we were at the bottom. Like I had no clue. Nobody knew that was the absolute bottom. I also had no trauma from 2008. I wasn't in real estate in 2008. So I was able to put my blinders on and go and do those deals. Now, in those first 10, the first house I ever did, I mean, I borrowed hard money at 16 and six points or something insane like that. From the guy that owned the local coffee shop, I did, took a hard money loan from him. I had no clue. My credit score was like five seventy. Like, you know, I had a little troubled past, and I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I'll figure out how to refinance this, and I wound up figuring out how to refinance. I got a three point two five percent loan. So basically, what I was doing was, to be clear, I was going out. I was working as much. There was no overtime. I was hustling, landscaping, doing whatever I had to do to stack some cash. I'd go buy a house. Then I'd borrow hard money and then I would go refinance it. And all these were in my personal name. So my first 10 houses were all done in my personal name because the ease of transaction was way easier. There was better ways to qualify for income. I had a government job. So it made life easier for that. And it wasn't until we formalized our business, we started becoming very bankable with local banks. But we used just a local home lender. Man, what was the name of that company? It's going to bug me now. But he was just like a debt broker or was worked for one of the big shops and he would get me a loan. And so we would borrow the hard money, we'd fix it up, and then we'd go refinance it with him. We tried to get most of our money back, the Burr method, which is a hot topic. 
sometimes we'd win, sometimes we'd lose, or I should say sometimes I'd win, sometimes I'd lose, but overall, it was like a stock portfolio. You're just cost-based averaging. Some you have some money in, some you don't. And if I didn't put those houses in my name, and if I wasn't willing to take hard money at horrible terms, again, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today if I did not take those financial risks at that point to jump in and go do it. When you were making that decision with hard money lending and borrowing against maybe not so favorable terms, what were some of the calculations or metrics that you looked at to determine whether or not that made sense to borrow hard money or looking for other avenues of financing your properties? My more sophisticated answer today, looking back on all of it was, oh yeah, I knew that I was going to leverage it up and I was going to do this. I didn't know anything. My back was against the wall. And when I looked at it, again, it simply came down to the fact of, I got this much money in the bank. I had a whopping 15,000 bucks. The guy was willing to lend 25 grand, the purchase price. And he was willing to lend 40 grand in renovation costs or whatever it was. And I just looked at him and said, okay, I'll figure it out. So I only had to put down like five grand. I had 10,000 bucks to manage. I just had to get that house done as humanly fast as possible. I mean, dude, we were leveraging... My wife had credit cards. I was like, hey, babe, like, can I borrow the credit card and do this? Because I couldn't get a credit card in my name. So I would love to lie to the audience and say it was a calculated risk. It wasn't. It was a need to get it done. Now, going forward, fast forward to where we are today, looking back on it, yeah, the answer was, I knew I could borrow money at a higher interest rate. But in exchange for that, on the back end, if I can endure the pain... I could refinance it at a lower interest rate and get all my money back. And to me, the returns then become infinite and it's a no-brainer. And we were able to deploy that strategy going forward. And we still use it today in commercial assets. I mean, we set up bridge debt with some of our investors and our hard money lenders that we've used in the past, where they'll come in and bridge a multi-family or a self-storage deal, multi-million dollars, and we'll do the same exact thing. We'll get in there, stabilize it, refinance it, and get all of our capital back, return it to the investors or the hard money lenders and keep it moving. It's the same concept over and over and over again. Again, I think the big learning lesson here is we started in an asset class that we could do a lot of them and get really, really good at what we do and then deploy that strategy on bigger assets. What do you think helped you be successful with that first part of the journey of building up that 10 portfolio and not losing all the money because some people can get into it, buy those properties really quickly. Two years is not a long time. But some people end up losing a lot of money if they're not looking at the right things, if they're not managing it correctly, they don't have the right skill sets to perform. What do you think allowed you to be successful during that first part of your journey? Yeah, in the first part of the journey, a lot of it was, I think one thing that helped us, and I mean, I'm not naive to this, is the market in general. We came out of we literally bought at the exact bottom. Like I did not know. But as we buy a house, when we were flipping houses, like let's skip past that 10 house portfolio when we started flipping some houses, we could buy a house completely screw up. It's worth 25 grand more within like a week, right? Like so that helped us huge. Like timing was everything there. The other thing that, you know, when we're running that 10 house portfolio before we started to explode and like really move was really just pure grit and determination of saying, okay, I got 10 houses like. How do we manage this? How do we recreate what we bought? What don't we like about these houses? Ooh, I don't like the area. It's a little rough. Let's try to find better assets. Like, What happens if we try this same exact model out in Baltimore County where the house value is worth maybe double that and the rents are only going to be about 25% above what we're getting? Does it still work? 
okay, yeah, it does. And actually we found out we got better rent and we got better quality of tenants and like things got better. So it was really just taking a look at saying, okay, well, we built some sort of scale. Now that we built this scale, let's execute on it. Now that we've executed on it, let's go back. And I think a lot of this and look at it, like, and a lot of this comes from the fire department, sorry, I'm a little bit all over the place, but you know, we would go to a fire, we would go do our job. And then afterwards, we'd have like a post-incident analysis, mostly sitting around the kitchen table, drinking coffee and busting each other's balls. But out of that came, hey, what'd you do to get the line up there? Hey, what'd you do to make sure like the fire went out? Like, you know, we would go through all these things and the teamwork and the camaraderie it was the same thing inside of our business. It was like, yo, Dan, like what worked on that? What didn't? And it was like, it's nothing formal, but it's the conversation. And most people don't want to have the conversation and recognize what they do wrong. We screw up every day. But we're willing to get up and go back and do it over and over and over again. And I think that's the one thing that people need to realize. Like, I mean, when you started your podcast, did you think it was going to be the best thing in the world? I probably, but in the same sense, you know, your first few podcasts aren't the best. Like, it just happens. I, I tell people all the time, you just got to get out there and do it. And it's going to get better and better and better every single time. And most people are too afraid. Either they're too afraid to go do it. If they do do it and it sucks, then they're like, oh, I give up. I'm not good at this. So, dude, like, come on, man. Like, you got to keep doing the reps to get better and better and better. And ultimately, you'll be able to create whatever you are looking to create. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us. Because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about. Serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah, I think for us, when we first started our podcast, our goal was if we can get 10 people to listen to, that is a huge win because we didn't think anybody would listen. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, oh, man, I'll go. I said this wrong and I did this wrong. And it's like, what if you want to You're so up? hard on yourself. Yes. Yep. Yep. And most people, and we used to say this all the time, especially when we were flipping houses, is like, dude, we would get so caught up in the minutia of like, man, like this one thing's off. And finally, we got to the point where like, we built the house. We know what's wrong with it. Nobody else knows. Like, don't say it. Like. Only you know is like, oh, I meant to ask you in this question and it came out wrong, but someone might be sitting here listening and go, man, that was a great question, right? Like only you know what's right or wrong. So so what steps did you have to take after you decided and partnered up with another person from going from a solopreneur to building a business and starting that next part of your journey up? Yeah. I mean... A lot of it was as we created scale, we actually had a capital investor. He was a securities attorney and he came from the like really sophisticated multifamily world. And he's like, yo, you guys need a project manager. And you know, me and Dan, we're two blue collar guys. And I was like, dude, we don't need that. We got this. We're tough guys. We can handle this. You know, he pushed us to get a project manager. And then as we got the project manager, it's like, whoa, we're not in the street every day. Now what do we do? And it's like, uh, all right, let's clean up books, let's clean up taxes, let's clean up processes, let's clean up. And the same thing happened like as the market changed for us going from single family into our commercial assets that we own today. Well, it wasn't a hard break. We're not really buying anything right now. We're going to go concentrate on operations, right? And it's like you kind of hit these levels. And really, the steps are it goes back to what we just talked about of like, 
going back, like when you're going forward, it's so easy to just grow, 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 but to then actually be an executor to go back and look and see what you did right and what you did wrong, and then create the processes around what you do right and what you do wrong is ultimately what creates that business. And when we first hired our project manager, Ryan, he's now like, he runs it all. We still haven't properly titled him, but he's probably like our COO if we had corporate terms. Well, he is our COO if we had corporate terms. Is you need that process in place to be like, here you go, Ryan. This is how we do it. Go execute. And yeah, we might do it this fashion. All right. If I'm going to go order materials, I would do it in this way. But the point is, and Ryan might do it in a different way, but the point is, is like in the end, you just need to order these materials. I don't really care how you do it. Just get it done. So knowing the process that you want to happen or the end result of the goal and being able to document that to then add people into the system is what creates that business. I mean, today, if you told me 15 years ago when I started in the fire department and 10 years of real estate investing that we'd have 15 employees help managing our portfolio, that would have been a mountain to climb that I couldn't even imagine. But now it's like, hey, we need another maintenance guy. Hey, we need another admin person. Hey, we need another boots on the ground. And it's like, here's the system. Go in, execute it. Off you go. And I don't know if I answered your question correctly. This is like kind of like a therapy session. You know? <laughs> to me, there's no... I got to do X to get Y. And then this magically happens. It's like, all right, I know I got to do X. I know I got to do Y. And hopefully the magic happens. And I just got to keep trying and do it. And there's no like... I wish there was a book. There's no book to open up. Like, well, how do you have kids? I wish there was, but you just kind of deal with it in real time. And some of business is that. And I think that's where what separates the ones who are like uber successful versus the ones that are like, all right, I got, I don't know. And they just kind of mull around and never really go anywhere. But again, that's who we are and that's how it works for us. So. So every time you went to a different asset class, like going from the fourplex and started growing and getting into more commercial space, how did you make that determination or what did you look at and how did those opportunities come about for you to continue to grow the business? Yeah. So this one actually had a little bit of a hard line break. As we were growing, we bought a seven unit. We bought some like small warehouse stuff in and around where we were working. Some of it became holding stuff for us. Other stuff was just like, hey, we'll rent it out. We know it. We understand it. It's simple. But what I would do is... Now, you guys got to remember, we're working 24 hours. I would sit at work in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. when everyone else is sleeping. I'm sitting where the riots happen at Northern Pennsylvania. I'm sitting there on a Metagron. I'm looking at everyone's deals. I'm looking at your deals. I'm looking at Grant Cardone's deals. I'm just looking at deals. How are these guys making this work? How are they making it work? How are they making it work? And finally, it like clicks. I was like, oh my God, this is how they do it. All right. I understand the whole model. Cool. Now let's go through the reps of Colin Brokers. Hey, broker, like I'm interested in your deal, but I'm probably not going to be your top bidder. Immediately establishing the fact that, like, kind of a newbie, I'm not going to be a player. I want to talk to you. And so now I went through the reps with the brokers. And then finally, it was like, man, I understand the underwriting piece. I understand the broker piece. Cool. Can I understand the debt piece? Yeah, we had a really good debt in place. We had a small group of investors. We had a bank that we liked working with. And it was just kind of like a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, boom, we buy a 34 unit building. A little bit, a little bit, boom, we buy a 76 unit building. And it was just taking all those things that we were learning, everything that we executed building a 100 house single family portfolio and flipping over 100 houses in at that point, probably six years, we did almost 200 houses. It was like, all right, just go. If we can do one house or we can do 15 houses in a month, I can do 10 apartments in a month. Like, 
And it was a natural transition for us, again, by building our scale in the single family world and then applying it to the multifamily world. I'll tell you our strengths, CapEx, buying like stuff that needs to be actively managed. That's our wheelhouse. That's what we do really, really well. I don't want to say don't do well, but where our weakness is, because we're not sophisticated in that fashion, is underwriting, creating these massive waterfall type deals. We keep our stuff very simple and it's just like very direct. Like, hey, like this is what we do and this is who we are, right? But we knew our strengths and weaknesses going into these deals and we could explain it to the debt brokers. We could explain it to our investors and we could explain it to our team to go in and execute that deal. And it was almost a seamless transition to take us to that next level. As you're building up the portfolio, when did you decide to legally form a partnership? And how do you maintain that side of the business where things are in line? Because you can do a handshake. Also, some people operate off of that way. But it's better to just get clear, concise terms and conditions and formalities and making sure that everybody understands the place. What did you guys do on that side of things to make it formal or if that even happened? Yeah. So in 2014, we formalized the business when he brought that wholesale deal. That was kind of like... It was a little loose on the wholesale side of things. You got to remember, we're like, I've known as we all grew up outside of Philadelphia. I've known his wife since I was like, yay big. We've been friends since high school. So there was some trust there, but there's also some, it can get weird, right? So we wholesaled those houses. And then when we flipped that first house, we put it in a company and we still have that operating agreement today. We haven't gone back and like really reviewed it, really done anything with it, but straight up 50 50. Everything we do, we have similar aged kids. I think that our goals line up so well that it's not really a question. And I think that's where some people go sideways. Finding a business partner that maybe doesn't have the same common goals. One might want money. One might want growth. One might want to have a boutique portfolio. But knowing what your partner wants and that you have similar type goals is what allows us to go and keep that tension away and not really have to go visit that operating agreement and play the legal game because that's just not the type of people we are. We always put the properties first and out of putting the properties first, everything else falls in place. Now, I will say, technically, we have partners with investors, as you know. Everything we do on that side of things, everything's done through proper PPMs and all that other good stuff to protect everybody, especially when you're bringing outside capital in. You want to make sure that everything's all buttoned up. But our parent company, Equity Warehouse, that's just a simple operating agreement that we've had since 2014. And maybe one day we'll review it. And hopefully it's for the good and not the bad. But everything's been going good and it should continue on that way. So bring us to what you're focusing today in terms of the asset types and what you're looking in terms of deals. And how has that changed when you guys first started? Yeah. I mean, we started with the latter part of that question is, yeah, we started with $25,000. People want to call them crack houses, vacant dwellings, junky houses, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we would buy the stuff where you'd walk in and look up and you could see the sky and we'd be like, this is beautiful. Let's go do this. Right. And that's morphed into buying. I mean, our most recent transaction was a 47 unit apartment building. The transaction before that was a $12 million self storage acquisition. Right. So, it's changed drastically. But a lot of that comes with knowing what your strengths are and applying it. And some of it's getting paid for your strengths. Some of it's growth for your team. Some of it's growth for yourself. A lot of it is, is if we're going to do work on one single house and we want to impact people's lives, or we can do work on a 
apartment building or self-storage facility were impacting a lot of people and a lot of vendors, the impact's greater on the larger assets. So today, we mostly concentrate on self-storage and multifamily. We are opportunistic investors. If something comes along the way, an industrial site, office building, it could be an Airbnb that's like really cool and unique. We're not going to not look at it, but our wheelhouse today, what where our strengths are, is self-storage and multifamily. And one to $5 million, one to $10 million range is really what we focus on. And we're looking for value-add stuff that we're able to increase the value through management, capital improvements, and overall management of the facilities to make them better. And that's how we create value for ourselves, our team, and our investors. So Ian, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? If you would have told me that I was able to retire pre-40, because technically we, we left our careers, there's never in a million years that I would have thought that I'd be retired at 40. Real estate has absolutely 100% changed who we are, not only from financially, I mean, that's the ancillary benefit of it all, but as a person, as a leader, as a family man, it stresses all those things. You can have a small one-man band operation and still stress all those things inside of real estate. You got to deal with vendors. You got to deal with capital. You got to deal with managing the assets, right? There's a lot of things that real estate is going to test you on. And I think a lot of the skills that we learned in the fire department that we got tested on, real estate tests us on the same thing. And it's fun. And I was joking with someone the other day, is real estate's the type of business that most likely will all be doing deals to the day we go to the grave because it's so much fun. It's real life monopoly and I enjoy it. And I suggest everybody gets involved with it. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I wish we would have went a little bigger sooner. That's the one thing I wish. I always had this roadblock for whatever reason, the barrier to entry for single family real estate is like so easy just to jump. It puts this like massive barrier against commercial real estate. I'm talking multifamily, industrial, self-storage, right? And I wish that I would have broke down that barrier sooner for our team. I'm grateful for everything that we have today. I couldn't imagine if we would have broke that barrier down five years earlier. I mean, it's crazy what we've built in such a short period of time. And I look forward to what we're going to build in the future as well. So Ian, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, the easiest place to find us, we're on all the social assets. You can just look up Equity Warehouse, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. If you want to find out more about our company and what we do and how we co-invest with our investors, you can check out equitywarehouse.com. We got some case studies over there. But if you want to interact, if you want to talk about how you can get involved in real estate, you know, you want to go swing the bat, Instagram is the best place to find me. I always respond to the DMs and go from there. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Ian. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavis Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. 
Dale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.